Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. As we've just sung a second ago, the greatest command that God has given is that we should love Him with all of our heart and soul and mind. Some places in scriptures add the word strength as well. And so as we get started this morning, that's my first question. And I ask it with a bang. Do you love God? I'm not asking for an auditory response, but humor me for just a minute. Will you do that? Will you humor me for just a second? I want you to close your eyes. In fact, I'm going to close mine too, so I can't see you either. And we appreciate the people who are joining us on the live stream. All they can see is your back, so they're not going to see your answer either. But as we do so often, I want you to give me thumbs up, thumbs down, right in front of you. Do you love God? Now, I'm going to close my eyes, so I'm not going to see. Do you love God? All right, you can open your eyes. Me too. Isn't that wonderful? That we share that together. Second question is, from this verse... Do you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? That's another way of asking, do you love God with everything that you are? Do you love God totally and completely with nothing held back? Is your love for God such that there is no other love that supersedes it, that overcomes it, that is greater than it? Is it truly, not just the greatest command, is it the greatest love that you have in your life? To love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, maybe that question is more difficult to answer yes. Maybe you didn't even answer yes to the first question. Maybe your answer is, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I really love God. And I'm certainly not sure if I love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'll tell you that I do. I might not always look that way. There are times where I'm ashamed of things that I do for somebody who loves God, but I do. I love God in just that way. And so what I'd like to do for just a couple of minutes, what I'd like to do for a couple of minutes is tell you why. Because the other question I want you to answer this morning for you, not for me, not for anybody else, for you, why? Why do you love God? If you, if you put your thumb up and said, yes, I love God, why? For what reason do you love God? And even if you've, you're someone who's loved God for years and years and years and you would emphatically say, yes, I love Him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, what I'd, I'd ask you to do is go through something that I've had to go through over the last couple of weeks in preparing for this lesson. I want you to sit down and list the reasons why. Maybe do it on a scratch piece of paper. Maybe do it on your phone. Maybe just go through that exercise mentally. Why do you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Um, well, I did that. I wrote a bunch of stuff down, and I ended up with almost three pages of notes. Uh, this is supposed to be not the whole lesson this morning. The whole lesson this morning uh, is supposed to cover some other things, and so I had to cut that way back. And so what I'm doing in answering that question 
uh, is very briefly, I want to put it into three categories. I love God because of who He is. I love God because of what He has done. And I love God because of what He continues to do. I love God because of who He is. And the great thing is, just like any other relationship, the more I come to know God, the more I learn about Him. I'm, I'm discovering things about who God is and learning Him better. But I already know that God is loyal and loving and patient and merciful and gracious and faithful and just. He's perfect. He's everything that God should be. He makes no mistakes, and that means that he'll make no mistakes on the day of judgment. Either I'll stand before him and belong to him by the blood of Jesus, or I won't. But I love that God, with God and his perfect justice and fairness, nobody gets a raw deal. Everybody is judged individually and fairly. And there are lots of qualities of God like that that we could explore, but I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, uh, the song that Barrett led us in was perfect for the things we're going to talk about this morning. 1 John chapter 4, we'll look at a few verses from this and the next chapter. Look there in verse 8. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. He who does not love does not know God. Why? For God is love. That's why I love God, because of who He is. And God is love. He is the perfect manifestation of love, the perfect example of love. He is the one who created love and showed us what love is. I love God because of who He is, and God is love. I love God because of what He has done. And He's done lots of things. He created me. He gave me life and breath and all things. Through Him I live and move and have my very being. He revealed Himself to me. God has done many things through the centuries that were for my benefit. But, if I'm going to sum all that up, He loved me first. And God has proven that love beyond the shadow of any doubt. Keep reading in verse 9. In this the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we should live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 19 of the same chapter. We love Him because He first loved us. God loved us. And He proved that love by giving us his son. Christ gave himself. And even when we were enemies of God, he loved us so much that he was willing to sacrifice himself for us. Uh, that's John's answer to our question, why do you love God? We love him because he first loved us. And, and that is in some ways the easiest way to love, the easiest kind of love. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 46, Jesus says, For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do the same? Jesus is saying everybody loves like this. Everybody loves people who love them. That is the natural reaction. And while there may be exceptions to that rule, the general idea is if somebody loves you, you, you love them back for that. 
And we don't always do it, of course, but that is the easiest kind of love, especially when the love for us is so great. I love God because of who He is and what He's done, but also what He continues to do for us because He loves us. I love God because He's always there, because He's never distracted Because he's never too busy for me. Because he's never disloyal or unkind. He himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13 and verse 4. He asks, well maybe he commands. He commands me to cast all of my cares on him because he cares for me. 1 Peter 5 and verse 7. But when I think about the things that God continues to do for me because he loves me, It comes down to something earlier in 1 John, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. He has forgiven me and saved me because He loves me in the blood of Jesus Christ. And He continues to forgive and cleanse me from all sin. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. This is the message which you have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. He says I write so that you don't sin, but I love God that if I do, When I do, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if I will confess my sins, He is faithful and just to forgive me my sins. All sins. All unrighteousness. He forgives us by Jesus. But do we see the magnitude of what He continues to do in that forgiveness? We know and we preach, and I think we understand correctly, that The only way I could stand before God justified as a result of myself is if I live perfectly. If I live a perfect life, only then could I stand before God. And maybe sometimes we think about that in the wrong way of saying, well, I haven't lived a perfect life. I come to Jesus, and because He loves me, He forgives me of those things when I fulfill the conditions of His grace. And so now I have another chance, another chance to try and live perfectly. Well, how does that work out? Not very well. We sin again. We say, okay, what now? What what do I do now? I love God because He forgives me over and over and over and over again. How many chances do I get? Well, how many lifetimes would it take to live perfectly? I think we're all fascinated by that idea of getting to restart again and again and again. Did you know this year... 2023, is the 30-year anniversary of the movie Groundhog Day. 
uh, Groundhog Day. You know, even if you hadn't seen the movie, you know the phrase, right? The idea that you live the same day over and over and over again. And in the 30 years since that movie came out, movies with that same concept have been remade 15, 20 times. Major movies. This idea is fascinating to people. And maybe in our day of sequels, you say, well, of course, there's no new material. We have to make over and over and over again movies about doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, you know some of these, 51st Dates, Edge of Tomorrow, Happy Death Day, Source Code, the map of tiny perfect things. I hadn't seen all those, but they're all that same concept. Do you ever think about that? I do. I think about this a lot. I think about this a lot sometimes the first time I sin in a day. Now let me tell you, there are days where, to the best of my knowledge, I don't sin. Every once in a while I'll string a couple of those days together. But there are other days where it seems like I just can't get it right. And I think to myself, well, how many tries would it take for me to get it exactly right every single day? You know, Bill Murray in that movie, people have gone back and looked at all of the things that he had to do and all, in order to learn all of the things that he learned and do all the good things he had to do. People have suggested it took him 33 years to live one perfect day. Well, I don't know if it would take that long. But it'd take a lot, wouldn't it? And I love God. I love God because of who He is. I love God because of what He has done. And I love God because of what He continues to do for me in forgiving my sins. But it doesn't stop there. God continues to do things for us in this way as well. That He continues to direct me in the way that is best. And he only asks me to do what is best for me always. That is what he has always done for his people because of his love for us. Uh, go back there to Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you would. This is the context where Jesus uh, plucks that phrase that you should love God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. That's taken from early in the chapter in verses 1 through 9. Talk about the importance of this concept and how we should teach that to our children and how we find the application of that in the law of the Lord. And there's a day coming, he says in this chapter, when your kids are going to ask you about that. You need to be ready to give an answer. And there's a phrase in this chapter, in verse 24 of Deuteronomy chapter 6, that we use a lot with our kids, that I use a lot in my own life, if I'm being honest. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God. Why? For our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. For our good always. The things that God asks us to do, the things that he commands us to do, are for our good always. What kind of love must it take? For someone to only inform, instruct, and request from someone things that are only for their good. And that in many ways sets the love of God apart from the love of a lot of other people. Even those that love us the most. Who loves you the most? Um, your spouse maybe, a parent, maybe there's a close friend, maybe there's a child who loves you like that. I know my mama loves me, right? She, she sent me a text message this morning telling me how much she loves me. And I believe it. It's true. And my mom almost, almost, almost always 
instructs me and teaches me to do the things that are best for me. Every once in a while, every once in a while, there's something I have to do, and there's some other things and things in her life that she loves, and maybe I have to do something, but it's not for my good. And she wants me to do it, but it's not ultimately for my good. You say, well, I can't believe that. I know your mother. Well, she has a husband. She has a daughter. She has other things as well. Other people as well. And it is only God who can instruct us in such a way and with only the motivation that it is for our good always. And that is more than just protecting us from harm or blessing us with the best way to do things. God's commands and restrictions develop certain aspects of character in us as well. They train and mold us into the kind of people He would have us to be. Not just in terms of rote behavior, but of actions as a reflection of of our hearts and desires. God loves me so much that the things that please Him are the things that make me into the very best version of myself. The very best version of Reagan is when Reagan does the things that please God. And I love God for that. God is easy to love because He loves us. He wants what's best for us. He does what's best for us and directs us in doing what is best for us too. And I've done kind of a crummy job this morning because it's an impossible task to summarize why I love God and why you should love Him too. But it's only half the lesson. We're just about exactly halfway. It's only half the lesson. Because if you love God, for these reasons and many, many more that you have, many more that we could list, don't you want to show God that you love Him? Don't you want to return love for the love that He has shown? You love God. Almost all of you do, I'm sure. And I want him to look at me someday in grace and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your love. Do you love God? Do you want to please God? Of course you do. Amen? And that, beloved, hear me clearly, because this is the point. If you love God and you want to please God, that, beloved, is why you should care about having authority for what we believe and practice. My goal this morning was not to use the word authority until I was past halfway done with this lesson. Because authority for so many has become this kind of bad word. This word that is associated with the scribes and Pharisees. A word that's associated with that other word that I said that uh, I wasn't going to say anymore. Starts with legal. It's a word that many people look at and say, well, you know, those are those people who are religious and concerned about the rules, but I'm concerned about the love of God. And if you get no other point from the lesson this morning, the point of the lesson is this. If we love God, we should care about having authority for what we do in practice. Because we show God that we love Him when we do that. 
Authority, as we're using it, is defined as the right to act in a specified way. It is official permission or sanction for whatever uh, thing that we're doing. And I care about authority because I love God and I know He loves me. And I want to please God because I love Him. And there's a direct connection between love and commandment keeping. Go back to where we started in Matthew chapter 22. I just read it to you. I quoted it to you. But I want you to go and look at that passage again. In Matthew chapter 22, when the lawyer comes questioning Jesus, what is the question that he asks him in verse 36? Which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus' response is, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and great commandment, verse 38. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Love. Love is the summation of all of the commands of God. Love is the motivation to fulfill the commands of God. And love is what leads us to make proper application of the commands of God. It comes back to this idea of loving the Lord. And there are lots and lots of passages in our Bibles, both Old and New Testaments, that talk about the importance of loving God. But isn't it amazing? In those passages that tell us how to love God, that God wants us to love Him and wants us to love Him like this, that the overwhelming focus of those passages is on keeping God's commandments. Those two things are not opposed to one another, beloved. Keeping the commands of God is how we show God that we love Him. And it is because we love Him that we do these things. Jesus Himself said in John 14 and verse 15, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Notice that that isn't even a command, is it? If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. It's just a statement of fact. It's a statement of reality. That if we love God, we will keep His commandments. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3, John says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. That idea that love and commandment keeping are opposed to one another is totally foreign to the biblical text. Now don't misunderstand me. Are there some out there? Is it possible that there are those who are pharisaical? That there are those who are more concerned about bean counting? more concerned about keeping a list of laws and requirements than they are about the love of God. Are there people out there like that? Yeah, I think probably there are. But I don't think most people are. I don't think most Christians are that way either. Keeping commands without love might be pharisaical. But keeping commandments out of love is something else entirely. It is being a disciple. It is following Christ's teaching because you follow Christ. It is loving God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And here's the thing. It's it's not just the commandments either, is it? The New Testament has so much more involved in it than just rote commandment keeping. I love God, He commands me to do this, and so I do that. That's good, that's right. But the New Testament is more than commandment keeping, not 
less than commandment keeping. God wants us to love Him with all of our hearts and then do what we know pleases Him, even if that is not a direct command. Earlier in 1 John, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 22, John says that we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him in the ESV. New King James, we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Why and? Because we keep commandments... But there are other things that are not just commandments that are still the things that God wants, the things that please God. And so our attitude is such that I want to keep God's commandments, but I want to please Him in every way, in all things. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 1 to maybe emphasize this point. Colossians chapter 1. Let's start reading there in verse 3. Colossians chapter 1. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel which has come to you, as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew of the grace of God in truth, as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. They, they have love and faith and hope and all of these things. Verse 9, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of of God. That's my goal. Because I love God, I want to walk in such a way that I am fully pleasing Him. And that means it's a lot more than just keeping commandments. I've got to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I've got to set my mind on things above and seek those things that are above. My food, my nourishment has to be the will of God. My attitude has to be such that I'm seeking to be conformed to the image of His Son in every way. And so may I suggest this. If the point of our lives is to please and glorify God out of love for Him, and when it comes to anything that we think or say or do, we should ask the question, does this please God? And over the next few weeks, I hope to speak on some of those ideas of how we go about determining those things and applying those things. But this is the question. Uh, this is the question put the simplest way I know how. Does this, this thing that I'm doing, does this please God? And, and we should ask that question in every aspect of our life as we go through our day, as we do the things that we do. Uh, whether it's conscious or subconscious, we should ask that question. Does this thing that I'm doing, does this please God? Uh, maybe that applies certainly to what we're going to be talking about, establishing authority for what we believe and practice. It's like I stepped right out of the 1950s, right? The question is, does this please God? 
This thing that I believe, is that fully pleasing Him? This thing that I'm practicing in my worship and my work and a local congregation or as an individual Christian, does this please God? And when it comes to more practical matters in my life, if I sit down and I watch something on a screen over there or a screen right here, I should ask myself the question, does this please God? This thing that I'm watching, this movie, this show, this video, does this please God? When it comes to, uh, I've been doing a little more traveling here lately than normal, and I'm glad that that's over, but uh, you ever have this... uh, You ever have this experience in the airport? I'm a very friendly person. I talk to everybody, right? And somebody comes up and they start talking to me. I don't think that's weird at all. So I just start talking back to them. And then this look of horror is on their face. And they turn and I realize there's something in their ear, right? Everybody who's traveling has earbuds in all the time now. And they're so small that you can hardly see them. Uh, That's my old man moment for the morning. Well, that's our culture is what I'm listening to in those earbuds. The music, the podcast, whatever. Does this please God? That's the question I should be asking, right? You love God, right? That's the question I should be asking. With what I wear, does this outfit please God? Is it fully pleasing to Him? With how I speak, Does this language, the actual words that I say or maybe the joke that I tell or the story or the tone of what I'm saying or the argument that I'm having or the thing that I'm posting, does this please God? And what I do for a living in order to make money, can I do this and still please God? Does this please God? To whom I become closest to, even those people that I date and marry, does this relationship help me to be fully pleasing to Him? It all comes back to that same question, does this please God? That is the question in regard to my heart, in regard to my life. In regard to the actions and the motivations for those actions, does this please God? Now, there are several possible answers to that question, and we'll explore this in more detail over the next coming weeks. Uh, Maybe the answer to that question, um, I asked that question of myself uh, this morning, um, and then I had to go and apologize for Stephanie, to Stephanie, because I asked, does this really please God? You know, I felt like I was in the right about something. Does this please God? I go and apologize. But sometimes we may be asked that question and, and our answer is, well, God doesn't really care about that. I asked my, myself the question uh, about something else this morning. And I said, well, does this really please God, this thing that I'm doing? And I think, you know what? I don't think God cares about this very much. So maybe the, question, the answer is, well, God doesn't care about that. And he says, you do what you want to do there. Either way is going to be pleasing to me. Maybe the answer is yes, this does please God, and I know that it pleases God. Maybe the answer is no, absolutely not, this doesn't please God. And maybe the answer is I don't know. I don't know if this pleases God or not. But we need to to ask that question. That question has to be asked and then the answer has to be sought from God and His Word. I should be able to point in my Bible and say, here, here's the reason why God doesn't care about that. Here's the the reason why, yes, this pleases God. Here's the reason why, no, I don't think this does please God. Here's the reason why, I'm not sure if it does or not. So now I need to be really, really careful about what I'm doing in regard to this. 
Think about it this way. When we think about this question, does this please God, and seeking an answer to that question, would you agree with this statement? No matter how well we know someone, we don't know them better than they know themselves. Now, I'm not even going to ask you to close your eyes. Agree or disagree? No matter how well we know somebody else, we don't know them better than they know themselves. Agree? All right, I got 75% participation. I'll take it. We don't know somebody better than they know themselves. And so if they reveal themselves to us, we should listen to that, right? The scriptures bear this out. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This will be the last passage to which we'll turn this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of the man things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us, the apostles, and then to us by extension, through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God, he says. Now we have received, the apostles have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things which have been freely given to us by God. And these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches us, but which the Holy Spirit teaches Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. What, what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? You may know somebody, you might know them really well, but you don't know them better than they know themselves. Uh, for example, um, today is my birthday. Uh, no big deal. Uh, you don't have to sing. If you want to leave your present in the foyer, that'd be fine. Today's my birthday. And, and I had a number of texts from loved ones, my family especially, and they texted me about my birthday a couple of weeks ago, and what question do you think they asked? What do you want? What do you want for your birthday? What do you want to do on your birthday? Those sorts of things. Why did they ask that? They asked that because they want to know what's in my mind, in my heart, in my spirit, and they knew as well as they know me, they're not going to know the answer to that question better than I know it. Um, I feel bad about this next example, but not bad enough not to share it. Uh, a few years ago uh, on Stephanie's birthday, she had told her mother, my mother-in-law, one of the best women in the world. Y'all heard me hear that, right? You heard that. That's absolutely the case. But on this occasion... She had, Stephanie told my mother-in-law what she wanted for her birthday. It was a purse, a very specific kind of purse. She was into Vera Bradley at the time. This was like a decade ago. And she said, this is the purse that I want. She sent it to her, showed her. In fact, I think she sent her maybe even a link where she could buy it, those sorts of things. And so it came time for Stephanie's birthday, and there was a present there, and she unwrapped it, and there was a beautiful Vera Bradley purse that was... Not at all what Stephanie had said she wanted for her birthday. And so Stephanie's a wonderful person, and she says, this is lovely. Thank you so much. And then later on, she asked very delicately, why did you get me this one? 
instead of the one I, you know, I asked for. And her mom said, I just thought you'd like this one better. Maybe. Husbands, how's that work out? <laughs> Maybe, occasionally, we'll strike gold on something like that. But usually, if somebody reveals what it is that they want, that's what they want. Right? And if we love them and care about them, and it's not detrimental to them, all those sorts of provisos, what are we going to do? We're going to do that because we love them. God has revealed what pleases Him. And when God has revealed what pleases Him, who are we to decide for ourselves to do something different? If you're not a member here, uh, Timberland Drive, or if you are, and you wonder why we do so many of the things that we do that others do not, may I suggest that for me, the answer to that question so often comes back to this one. That question of, does this please God? And can I point in my Bible and say, this is why I know that this thing pleases God. Now let me give you an obvious example. I don't use this example because it's somehow most important or anything like that, but because, um, because so many people see this difference the first time they walk in and worship with us, uh, if they've been worshiping in other churches around, that sort of thing. Our worship of God in song is without the use of mechanical instruments. And, and so you say, why do you do that? That's different. Most people don't do that. Why do we worship without instruments? The answer to that question is because we know that pleases God. And here's the crazy thing. Very few believers across the entire spectrum of those who claims to be, claim to be Christians would argue that that doesn't please God. Ask your friends and neighbors, is it pleasing to God? Does God like it when we worship sincerely? And even if that worship doesn't have instruments, if we sing to God, do you think God is pleased with that? And all of them would say, at least as many as I've asked that question, sure. Sure, that pleases God. Virtually everyone agrees that worshiping in song is something that we can do, that the scriptures teach that we should do. We should worship God in song, and that the early church worshiped that way for decades and decades and decades without instruments. Everybody agrees on that. Everyone agrees that we can say with absolute certainty, provided our hearts are right and all those sorts of things, that this kind of worship pleases God. So here's my point. If we're going to do something different than what we know pleases God, then we need to have that same sort of biblical support to say, I can point in my Bible and say, this is why I'm going to do something else. Does that make sense? We go down the list of a number of things that make us different. Why do we partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week? Because we can point in our Bibles and we say, well, we know that pleases God. And it's not some big thing that is super emphasized in the New Testament. But we can all agree, yes, that does please God. And I'm certain that it pleases God. When it comes to the pooled financial resources of the church, 
Why do we only use those resources to provide for our assemblies to worship, support of teaching and preaching of the gospel, and, and limited benevolence to only Christians under specific circumstances? Why do we only do it, use that money in those three ways? Aren't there other things that might be good in some sense? Sure. But we know those three things please God in regard to our collective use of that money. Why is it when we baptize someone, we fully immerse them in the water and we don't sprinkle or pour or any of the other things that people do? Because we know, and we can point in our Bible and say, we know that full immersion is pleasing to God. Why do we hold to any pattern of the New Testament, any apostolic pattern where the apostles wrote down something in one of these epistles or in the book of Acts, and this is what the early church did, and God was pleased with that. Why do we follow those things? We even, we even refer to ourselves in that way sometimes. We're trying to be a New Testament church. Why? Because we know those things please God. And we can point in our Bible and say, look, here, they did it. That means we can do it too. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not claiming that we're perfect. We got it all figured out. Do you know what question we ask? You know what question we should ask? About everything we do in practice. Does this please God? Because that is the question for someone who loves God. And when it comes down to doing anything else than what we know pleases God, the burden of proof, that's the debater way of saying it. May I say this morning the burden of love, the burden of someone who loves God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, the burden of love is on the one who wants to do something other than what God has revealed pleases him. If I love him and I know he loves me, why would I want to do something different than what I know pleases him? Does this please God? That is the question. And we will talk about how God has revealed the answer to that question over the next several weeks. But if we can't agree on this, the other lessons I'm going to preach really aren't going to do a whole lot of good. And we may disagree over the course of the next few weeks, and, and that's okay. That's okay. As long as we both love God, and are seeking with everything we are to ask and answer the question, does this please God? So I hope you come back. I hope we can talk about those things together. But I would have you know before we leave this morning that God does love you. And God loves you so much that he sent his son to save you. And if you need to be saved this morning... Won't you come in humble submission to the will of God, seeking to do what pleases Him because He loves you, but first and foremost accepting His grace on His terms by being baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. And if you're already a Christian and you realize you've been living in your life, ask, you're living your life asking the question, what pleases me instead of what pleases God, and that's led you down the wrong road, know that your brothers and sisters in Christ are here for you to help you in whatever way we can. Why don't you come now, while together we stand and while we sing. Jesus.